being cared for by this midwife I felt like wow she trusts me and that really is so impactful when you're stepping into motherhood as well maybe especially for the first time it's like wow this elder this guide she trusts me to be a good mother to my baby um, and that's really yeah that's really foundational Welcome to the Birth Journeys podcast. It is my belief that our birth journey has a lasting impact that goes far beyond delivery. It is my hope that through these stories, you would find the insight, tools, and the courage to go on and have your own positive and empowering birth journey. Just as a reminder, any information you hear on this podcast is meant to inform and encourage you on your birth journey and not intended to replace advice from your medical professional. Welcome back to the Birth Journeys podcast. Today we have Kat on and she's going to be sharing her birth stories with us. Hi Kat, thanks for taking the time to come on and share your stories. Hi Danielle, thanks for having me. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. I, so my name is Kat. I live in Wales in the UK. I'm 30 years old. I'm a doula and a birth educator, um, and I've got two children who are five and three, and I'm married um, for six years now, six and a half years, yeah, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love I love talking about physiological birth and all kinds of birth, really, and the whole journey into motherhood. Um, yeah. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> so where do you like to say that your birth journey begins? Um, well, I feel like in some ways it begins when I was 16 and I decided that I wanted to be a midwife or I actually feel like it just sort of landed in me, this desire to be a midwife. Um, but I didn't come, that, that was when I was a teenager, I was 16. And then I decided I needed to go and live life a little more first. I wasn't quite ready to undertake that calling. Um, and I went to go and train in horticulture. And then that's where I met my husband. Um, and when I was 22, 23, I actually decided to go and train to be a midwife. Um, and then we got married just a few months into my training um, and then I became pregnant like straight away, <laughs> which was not really the plan. Oh, wow. um, that's, that's what happened. Um, so I was halfway through yeah, my first year of midwifery training and found out I was pregnant. Um, yeah, which was, was unexpected um, and was quite challenging in that regard because it sort of felt like it interrupted my dream which was to be a midwife and kind of have, be qualified first and be working and then and then do the whole having children thing um so it took it took my husband a little bit longer to sort of come round to the the new reality than it did for me um 
but it was yeah it, it was maybe just a few days of like okay well this is this is the new plan we're going to be parents right now um and mm -hmm. then we, yeah we we were we were really excited um so yeah we were actually living apart while i was training so that was also another challenge of the pregnancy um and just the reality of midwifery training as well um i think it's it's different in the us isn't it because you can there's different ways of doing midwifery training different routes isn't there um yeah yeah whereas in the uk it's like there's only one you have to do a degree um that's that's how you become a midwife um and it's very it's, i suppose it depends where you are a little bit um in the country but it's it's quite medicalized and i think lots of people go into midwifery not realizing how medicalized it is whereas i did but i kind of thought that i would be able to just i don't know just get through it while i was a student and then practice in the way that i wanted to once i was qualified mm. um but i think were you going to say something Oh yeah, I was just gonna say. Um, so before getting into like your pregnancy and and birth and all of that, I'm curious. Do you know like what kind what sparked that desire to be a midwife and to go that route in your life? I it, it was quite out of the blue in some sense in that I didn't know anyone who was a midwife, no one in my family or no close friends. Um, I was just, I found I was someone as a teenager who just really liked being there for my friends, my girlfriends, and really enjoyed listening um, and I guess holding space, you could say. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just something about midwifery and the fact that I was drawn to the fact that it was caring for people, caring for women, but in a, in a normal time of their lives like it, it wasn't caring for sick people um not that there's anything wrong with caring for sick people i mean that's a valid um also a valid I, I get what you're saying yeah yeah mm -hmm. but in some ways it was very i i didn't really know why exactly there was no um it didn't really make sense in a way but that's why i kind of used the phrase like it just felt feels like felt like it landed in me this calling to be a midwife that it was almost um divine in that sense that it was a a thing of of faith it's like it's just here and i can say yes or no to it but i felt like yes i want i want to say yes i'm not really sure why this has come to me but um it feels like yes something i do want to explore later on in life um yeah, and, and you mentioned that um, most people may not realize that how medicalized um, the midwifery training is where you are, um, but you had this idea that you would maybe go, you know, make it through the training and then, you know, do your practice your own way. So what do you mean by that exactly? Did... Mm, it was, so I ended up working on the labor ward a lot kind of your first year is supposed to be where you learn about normal birth physiological birth but in reality 
it it wasn't it wasn't like that. I mean, I was one of few student midwives who did get to attend a couple of home births. I think I attended three in the end. But even the home births, two out of those three, were just very, very medicalized, and like there were there was always. It felt like there were lots of people in the room. There was often two midwives plus me, and the midwives were very hands-on. Um, like I feel like having their hands on like a woman's perineum when she's pushing her baby out, um, and it always felt quite busy and quite chaotic, even in the the home births. Um, whereas I I'd done a lot of reading and research and listening to podcasts even before I was in doing my training and I already had this sense of birth it shouldn't be it 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 shouldn't be chaotic and it should be a woman following her instincts with perhaps a midwife in the corner observing and holding the space and she's there if she's needed um and actually the first ever birth I saw as a student midwife was was like that. And it, it was at home and we, me and my mentor, the, the midwife, we just, we weren't, we weren't really needed. <laughs> and the, the mother was just neighboring in the bathroom with her, with her husband um, and just sort of came out at the last moment to give birth to her baby on the living room floor. Um, and there was just so much. So that was that was just the home births that I saw. But most of the time, I was on the labour ward, um, and there was a but midwifery-led unit that was supposed to be alongside the labour ward. But in reality, it just didn't get used much because by the time the mothers were sort of coming through the the doors, there was always it seemed there was always a reason that they could find to make things more medical. Um, yeah so i just felt like i i saw a lot it, it was it was little things like you'd have um a mother coming through and they'd say she's she's being induced and it was because she'd had two episodes of it's like if it's two or more episodes of reduced uh fetal movements in their pregnancy then they're automatically the policy is to offer induction but then they don't use those words that there's an offer of induction. It's just, you are being induced now. Um, and always just things like that always felt wrong to me. And I was just aware of the fact that it often felt like these women were being railroad, railroaded down a certain path. Like they weren't aware that if there were two episodes of reduced fetal movements, that then this would put them onto the path of being offered induction and what induction might mean um mm -hmm. that there's just not proper information given to them and and there's like lip service paid to informed consent but it's not actually happening in practice um yeah and i just felt very powerless but i suppose yes yeah, so i went into it thinking well i'll just get along with whatever the policies are and what my mentors are doing and then when i'm qualified I can do it differently. But I think once I was actually there and seeing it all and seeing the harm that was actually being brought upon women and babies um, with all of these policies, even whilst I was there as a student, it just felt, it felt really wrong. And especially once I was pregnant myself. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I just remember. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, okay. just there's a little bit of a delay that so that's why it's like, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, just keep going. Yeah, just a couple of um, instances that I will just always remember. Um, like one first-time mother who'd been who'd gone through the induction process and was having you know the synthetic oxytocin um and just her body wasn't ready for it and eventually she was in went in for a cesarean i just remember her crying to me and saying like what's wrong with my body like why why is this happening like, cesarean was the last thing that i wanted um yeah it was just really really heartbreaking because I felt in that moment like, well, I can't say it's probably because your body wasn't ready for it. Um, and we're trying to force, we're trying to for artificially force it to give birth when it's not ready. Like in that moment, I couldn't say that. So it felt very, yeah, inauthentic. And like I was ultimately participating in this, this, um, just this system of, of harm. Yeah, that must have been challenging when, yeah, you know that it shouldn't be that way and um, and that's what you're being told to do. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. <clears throat> and, it, and it makes me sad because a lot of, you know, most of those women, you know, don't really know a difference. Um, so they, you know, just have to go along with it, so... Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I wish were different in that system for sure. So going back to your um, your pregnancy, then um, having been in midwifery training and you know seeing how the system worked, how did that play into um, what you chose for birth, or did you have limited options, or what does that look like? Um, for your own story? Mm. Yeah, well, at first I was just going to my local midwife um, and just having all of the standard appointments. Um, I did decide quite early on that I wasn't going to be having any ultrasound scans, um, which did feel like challenging to make that decision because I I felt like I'm I'm a midwife in the system and like how are people going to react if I'm declining this intervention? Um, but actually, they kind of just left me to it because they which which was just lucky. I think um, I I remember taking my mum with me to that appointment with uh, which was with a consultant in the hospital because I'd you know I was going against medical advice by not having any scans. But I thought I'll just I'll go to it so that I can explain to them, you know, in in person, and then hopefully they'll just leave me alone. And it actually, it it did it went fine. I just said, you know, I'm a student midwife. I know I know what I'm doing in quotation marks, <laughs> um, and because mm -hmm. I'd seen what it can be like, how ultrasounds can can actually be a source of anxiety in themselves. And, you know, there can be false diagnoses uh, or you can be reassured of something when 
actually maybe there is a problem later on, but the ultrasound didn't pick it up. Um, and I just thought, I just don't want to do any of that. I just want to try and cultivate my connection with my baby and listen to my intuition. And if it feels like something comes up and I think that an ultrasound could be useful, then I will do that. But until that moment, I didn't want to just have them as, as routine. Um, so yeah, my husband as well was a bit, was unsure about that at the beginning, but he, in the end just said, okay, I, I trust you and we'll do, we'll do what you want to do. Um, but yeah, so I went along to my normal appointments and then when was it? It was about 32, 34 weeks. I actually ended up finding a private midwife. Um, and so then she would come to our house, um, for like two hour appointments as opposed to just 10 minutes in the doctor's surgery. And that was really lovely. She was amazing. She'd been a midwife for decades and she had four grown up children and she had grandchildren. So I just, that, the, she was just this grandmother figure who, I never knew I needed. <laughs> um, it just mm -hmm. felt like being enveloped in a in a hug, a warm hug. You know, just her presence alone. Like she didn't even have to actually hug me. Um, yeah, that was just really, really special having her care for me and for us. Um, and I think because I was a student midwife, I kind of had this idea that I already knew. I already knew everything, <laughs> and I didn't. I. I, I didn't have the same understanding that I do now about how birth is this transformation and this rite of passage for me, for us as mothers. Um, and so I didn't anticipate how I would need mothering as well. Um, and so she just kind of stepped into that space and that role in a really easy way. Um, and I remember saying to her when I was, we were, when I was booking her, um, and I was looking at the packages and I thought, okay, well, I don't really need any postpartum care because, you know, I'm trying to save money. <laughs> um, so I said that to her. She was just try tried to be, let's say, so diplomatically where she was like, well, you know, I do find that in postpartum, that's often where mothers do really need me the most, but it's up to you sort of thing. Um, well, she said, well, why don't you just book me for at least one week of, of care? Um, and so I did. And anyway, maybe I'm skipping ahead a bit here, but that, um, yeah, that time when she was coming after birth and she would just like sit at the end of my bed, um, and was just so reassuring. It was just what I needed. And yeah, then sparked a whole interest in postpartum care specifically. And I went and did more training around that. Um, but yeah, coming back to pregnancy, I think it was already such a contrast there, having her, just getting to know her. And we only actually met three times, I think, before I ended up giving birth, maybe even twice. Um, but it was just such a different experience. Um, and I knew, yeah, particularly from my experiences as a student midwife, I just felt like it's so important for me to know who's going to be turning up in my space who's going to be in that birth space caring for me um 
I, it always felt weird meeting a woman for the first time in labour as a student midwife. Um, so I just really wanted to know who was who was going to be showing up and to build a relationship with with them. And so, yeah, I was able to do that with this midwife. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's an important aspect of birth that gets overlooked a lot. You know, it's in the system, it's like, oh, whoever shows up, shows up <laughs> and yeah and i feel like that that relationship of knowing who is going to be there in such a sacred space is so important and i'm glad that you were able to you know have that yeah me too i um i did consider free birthing with my first um but i remember speaking to another mother who a free birther and she said I wasn't sure and she said well why don't you just meet with some people like caregivers and see who you connect with and don't necessarily yeah see if you connect with anyone don't necessarily think like well I'm going to free birth or I'm definitely going to have a midwife just kind of open it up a bit um mm -hmm. so yeah so then I connected with this midwife and, and that felt that felt right um Perfect. yeah yeah. So um, what did your birth story look like, your labor story? Mm. So um, we, so I, what happened? I went on maternity leave at about 28 weeks pregnant, 29 weeks, because that's when my year ended, my training, um, my first year. So then I got to go, because me and my husband were living apart, so I traveled down to stay with him so it's about three hours away but it was like in the countryside um we live we were living with some friends off grid in this cabin we were staying in um like our friends were on the farm but we had our own little cabin me and my husband um and so it was just perfect because you know most people go on maternity leave maybe like 36 weeks so I was 28 29 weeks and really had time to sort of come down and really relax after this quite stressful time being in midwifery training um so I think that really helped me and then I went into labor just shy of 38 weeks um and being a first-time mum as well and I'd sort of said to myself I prepared to go kind of maybe to 42 weeks plus so I basically ignored ignored all of the sensations I was like well I can't be labor it's it's I'm a first-time mum and you know the thing of like well first-time mums always go late um that really worked in in my favor there um yeah it first started with um sort of period pains just having cramps and I remember thinking is this labor I don't even know I'm a student midwife and I've seen all these women in labor but I don't actually know what it feels like um and so yeah that just having these cramps on and off for 24 hours I think before labor actually kicked in um and I was just going about my day doing some shopping went for a walk um and then I think we got home in the evening, me and my husband, we'd been to the shops and I realised he made me dinner and then I didn't want to eat it. So I was like, okay, well maybe 
maybe this is actually labour because um, I don't want to eat and I always want to eat. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually said to you that we weren't living with our friends, but now I'm remembering because my son is five now. It's hard to remember, but I re no, we did actually have yeah. some friends living with us at that point because we thought they were going to move out, but we thought we still had a bit of time because I was only 37 weeks pregnant. Um, but so I just sequestered myself in the bedroom and was on all fours and kind of lying down in between contractions and still kind of thinking this might not be it, but it might be, but still kind of pretend, trying to pretend I wasn't in labor. Um, and then eventually it, it was like, okay, this is happening. Uh, well, something's happening. So I called my midwife and was still in this uncertain place. It might be, it might not be. Um, but we said, I, I said, I'll try for a bit on my own and then, and then kind of call you back um, if things are still progressing. And the birth pool was in her car. We hadn't, yeah, we hadn't take, got it from her yet. But my husband went to go and find the hose connectors. It was like in a barn somewhere on the other side of the farm. Um, and I tried then to listen to one of my hypnobirthing tracks that I had. Um, and I think around that time, my husband must have sent our friends away as well. So it's like, okay, we might, we might be having a baby now. Um, yeah, and I felt quite, I felt quite happy, quite content, um, just in my in my little world of this might be or might not be happening. Um, and then my husband eventually came back, um, and I think so. Maybe the labour had really started when we got home, which was around five six o'clock, and then this was maybe like eight or nine o'clock. My husband got back with the hose connectors. And then we called the midwife. Um, and I was saying, I was saying, I remember saying to her, I'm still not sure if this is actually it. And then I had to stop talking to sort of breathe through a contraction. And she was like, okay, I think I'm going to come because it sounds like it might be labor. So she made her way over. Um, and I moved to the bathroom. And I remember wiping and seeing like uh, blood and like mucus, like the bloody show um, or mucus plug on the um, toilet roll. So then I thought, okay, this it is happening now. Um, and so I was sitting on the toilet to labor and there was like the shower cubicle was in front of the toilet, which was really useful because I was sitting on the toilet and then when I had a surge, I would kind of stand up and push on the shower cubicle. Um, that was really helpful, like pushing, pushing against the like counter pressure almost. Um, and I had a TENS machine as well. Um, yeah, so that was what I used. And I remember my husband coming into the bathroom to just sort of, I guess he was, he was just trying to be with me. Um, but it felt like, like too much. It was a really small bathroom. Um, and I just 
and the, but the light was really bright. So I said, can you go away? But can you bring me a candle? Because <laughs> the light is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did that. And but I also remember feeling a bit scared at that point. Like it felt it was really intense. And I thought, I don't know how much longer I can bear this. And I knew I didn't want to have any uh, vaginal examinations. But I remember thinking at that point, maybe I should just have one when Julia, the midwife, gets here, just so I know like how much longer it's going to take. Even though I know that even knowing that wouldn't necessarily um, tell me how much longer labour is going to take, you know, but just in that moment, yeah. it's like, what, it's too much, just reach grasping for anything that might provide some relief. Um, but then I remember the moment when Paul came to say Julia's here the midwife's here I just felt my whole body relax and I just knew I don't I don't need an exam it doesn't matter I know I just felt safe even before she'd come into the room but knowing she was there Mm. I thought well I can do this now like I don't I don't need that um and she Julia came in and we had agreed that she would um check the fetal heart rate and i think maybe take my blood pressure yeah and then she would just do that as first thing when she came in and then if everything was fine she'd she'd leave me like i didn't i didn't want to have regular um auscultation auscultation checking fetal heart because i thought it would be too disturbing um so she did those things and then she was just sitting there. But again, it just felt like it's too much, I, which was so interesting because as a student midwife, I'd, you know, I'd been in birth rooms where there's like tens of people in there. <laughs> so to, for me to then experience it as the, the mother and just having my husband or even just my midwife, who I know really well and feeling so observed by them, um that was a really good lesson um yeah so I just said to her can you go away (laughs) like I can't can't have you here um and she did and then and then I just carried on um and they were they were setting up the pool actually um and because we were off grid it took a really long time to get the water like hot enough because we had a really small boiler so um yeah I'd, I'd agreed to have a pool because Julia had had the pool anyway but I never it was interesting I never really felt like I would actually give birth in the water it just didn't really appeal to me um and sure enough like my son was born with just me and him in the room I sort of stood up off the toilet and I mean I was feeling inside myself sort of quite regularly to feel see if I could feel anything and what was going on and so I felt his head coming down and then yeah I just stood up off the toilet and he slipped out and I caught him um and then Julia and Paul my husband came in and my husband's face when he opened the door and saw us there was just I will never forget it for my whole life just he was so so excited um and it was so cool because we obviously hadn't had any scans and hadn't found out the gender. So it was really cool to see it's a little boy. Um, 
yeah and then we just all three of us four of us sat there in the in the candlelight in the bathroom and it was just lovely um and the placenta then there was that was interesting as well i was you know i'd had this lovely birth and it was all amazing and really exciting but i immediately found myself getting anxious about the placenta which was i think just from that midwifery training um but the the medical midwifery training it was just the anxiety of like should i should it be coming should i be doing something um but julia it was julia who was like it's okay <laughs> just just relax um and it really wasn't that long i think it was maybe like 10 minutes later she suggested because i was still talking about it she just said well if you want to you can pull on the cord a little bit and just test and see if it wants to come away um and it did i was still sitting on the toilet so i just stood up again and then she held out a little um one of those pads disposable pads to kind of catch the placenta um and then as the pool was ready so <laughs> i actually got in the pool um and my husband held our son skin to skin and he was still attached to the placenta we decided to leave it for a bit before we cut it um and i had a a nice dip in the warm pool the hot pool um, and had some tea and some toast um and then eventually we all got into bed together and we cut the cord so i think that was that was about three hours after he was born we actually cut it just before julia left um yeah and so i think the the sort of being an active labor was about five or six hours he was born at 1 a.m wow oh that's pretty quick for a first time <laughs> yeah yeah. And I, it just sounds so lovely that, you know, you were able to be by yourself, you know, like that, the instinct of, you know, wanting to be in that dark space alone, um, you know, and you were, that was respected and you were able to do that. And um, I love that with the whole placenta thing, even though, you know, you had those worries and, and um, wonderings because of your training that your midwife didn't, it wasn't your midwife projecting that fear on you. You know, it was kind of the, I guess, the things you had already learned in your own training. And then I love how when, you know, you brought those up to her, she let you be the one to kind of tug on the cord to see if mm. it was ready versus her stepping in and creating an intervention. You know, it. I just think that that is so amazing and how you know how it should be you know to let the mother be the one to um you know if that's something that she wants to be able to do that or you know instead of you know hands you know poking and prying and and rushing and um i really loved that that she had you do that versus her doing that yeah it's actually I'm feeling quite emotional about it now, just hearing it back from you because yeah, it was so special. Um, 
yeah and you hear so of so many stories and i witnessed so many stories of where those you know those moments are sabotaged but she was just very mm -hmm. skilled at just reassuring me and just always handing it back to me to control um mm. yeah and i just felt wow. i i felt she trusted me which i'd never really I'd never experienced that certainly as a student midwife there was always so much I always felt from the care providers they, it was always this imbalance of they they felt like they were the ones that had the knowledge and the power and it was very unequal that relationship between mm. them and the women and yeah whereas being cared for by this midwife I felt like wow she trusts me um and that and that really is so impactful when you're stepping into motherhood as well, maybe especially for the first time. It's like, wow, this this elder, this guide, she trusts me to be to be a good mother to my baby. Um, and that's really, yeah, that's really foundational in that time, I think, for mothers. Yeah. 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 That sounds just so incredible. What? Wow, that just sounds like a, a beautiful midwife and a beautiful experience. <laughs> was. Yeah. So do you have anything else from that first birth experience that you want to share? How was your postpartum recovery? You said you didn't think you were going to need her, um, but she did end up, you know, coming for a week. Were you glad then that you ended up booking her for that week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, postpartum was, it was mostly good. Um, I sort of, I knew about kind of postpartum needs and that it's a good idea to kind of take it slow and not have lots of visitors and just have that time for bonding and healing. Um, but I think I could have been a bit more intentional about it. Um, I did have mom yeah, moments of feeling overwhelmed and kind of had like parents and parents-in-law kind of all came up immediately because uh, they live all lived quite far away. And that, that was both nice and overwhelming. I think I wish that we'd had more conversations about boundaries and expectations before, like in, during the pregnancy. Um, but at the same time, I also felt um then we kind of said no visitors but then i ended up feeling a bit lonely <laughs> so it was just maybe it was also just being first time parents we just hadn't didn't really know what to expect um mm. but yeah it was uh, yeah and i think it was a being being someone who what is a recovering perfectionist i think i just found yeah it was just such a humbling experience being a new a new mum and just realizing how little i really knew and how much there was to learn and then allowing myself to be supported um was was a new thing but um yeah julia my midwife she really kind of led the way with that and was just really I made it okay for me to accept accept help um, and really normalised that for me 
I think. Um, so I was grateful to her for that. And then that's affected how I then go forward in my own work as a doula with new mums. It's like just bringing into their awareness that this is, it's normal to, you, you are vulnerable as a new mother and there is lots to learn and everyone goes through it. Um, and it's really, it's your time for receiving that mothering so you can mother your new baby. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's all I have to say about that time. So how long after your first birth did you get pregnant with your second child? Um, it was about a year and a half. Yeah, I was still, I was still breastfeeding. So I had, and I hadn't got my period back. Um, but I remember, yeah, just during feeding my breasts started feeling sensitive but I just thought I wonder like is this either either uh, my body's gearing up and I'm maybe going to have a period again or I might be pregnant um and I actually I had a dream um of giving giving birth um uh, to this to a baby girl very specifically um and get, did I say that? I was, yeah, gig of giving birth in, in the pool, which I thought, well, that's interesting because I didn't manage to get in the pool last time. Um, mm. And I had thought if I get pregnant again, maybe I won't take a test. Um, but I actually decided, oh, I think I will, because especially because I hadn't had my period back and so I wouldn't have that as as a sign, as a confirmation. Um, so I did take a test and yes, I was pregnant. Um, and so that was actually during, well, it was just before all of the COVID stuff happened. Um, but so then, yeah, I think I was like 12, about 12 weeks pregnant when we went into lockdown. And I think, so I decided I don't know if I made a conscious decision, but it was kind of like the world is, you know, is unrecognisable. And so I decided I would go and have a wild pregnancy and just, uh, yeah, I didn't feel the need to go and seek out medical assistance when the world was all a bit strange anyway, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, I did think about um having a private midwife like last time but we had moved we were living with my parents um and i decided that i just really wanted to have quite a private experience with that pregnancy um and that yeah i just wanted it to be quite fuss free um and just quite normal so i just yeah i just wanted to live my life and happen to be pregnant at the same time um yeah which was which was really lovely and really peaceful um because even though there was all of this strange stuff happening with covid um so me and my husband and my son we were living with my parents and my brother and we just had this quite lovely family set up for 
we are whilst I was pregnant um, and while we then transitioned into being a family of four. Um, so I did, I decided to hire a doula around 28 weeks. Um, and I think, yeah, obviously I'm going to tell the story and you'll, you'll hear why I feel, I feel a bit conflicted about it looking back now. Um, yeah, I think I, I hitting that third trimester, I definitely felt a lot of fear coming up because, so I, I had said, um, I was, we we're going to have a free birth, going to have an unassisted birth. Um, and yeah, I just started, uh, this fear was coming up and I thought maybe I do want someone there who has, who is more experienced in birth, you know, other than just like my husband and my mum. So I hired this doula and now looking back, I wonder, I don't know, did I, did I need to, maybe I should have just explored that fear more about why I thought that I needed someone there. Um, because I mean, she was love. She's lovely. She'd had a free birth herself. Um, but anyway, maybe I'll I'll just tell you the story of of the birth, and then it'll make more sense. My wanderings. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was. I think it was a couple. Yeah, it was a couple of days before the the guest date. Um, and I woke up in the morning and felt the period cramps um but again because it worked so well for me last time i just decided to ignore it and so well i'll pay attention to it if it if i need to um and just went around making my son breakfast and then he was going off to his the child minder actually because that was yeah so that was september 2020 so we were sort of just coming out of the lockdowns and stuff um, and then me and my husband were going to go for a coffee, um, in town. Um, and he, I remember he was doing some gardening and I was upstairs in the bedroom and it's quite this, it's quite a big house. So it's like a couple of flights to get downstairs. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can make it down the stairs because these cramps are more intense. Um, but I did, I did make it <laughs> and then... I remember mm. talking to my husband, like, should we go out now? But sort of having to stop and breathe through a surge. And he's like, I don't think we're going for a coffee right now. <laughs> I think you'll be busy with something else. Um, so we went back upstairs and we decided, okay, no, first, yeah, then I was kneeling, leaning over the bed and he, my husband was rubbing my back. And I decided not to get a TENS machine for that birth because I made a conscious decision that I wanted Paul to be more involved with this birth because I felt like the TENS machine in our son's birth was great, but that it was almost like I didn't, I didn't need anyone else. Um, mm. and, and I still appreciated Paul's support, you know, holding space. I felt, you know, with, with the first birth, um, you know, I felt glad that he was in the house. 
but this time I really wanted it to be kind of something that we were going through together. Um, so yeah, he was quite hands-on initially, like rubbing my back, that felt really good. Um, but then we decided to set the pool up because we, yeah, we did have a pool again this time because I'd actually had the dream this time that I was going to give birth in water. Um, and my parents just have a regular house. It's not off grid. So the pool was much quicker to set up this time. Um, and we called the doula just before, no, I think I no, I only got in the pool after she, after she arrived, I think. Um, but she lived about an hour away. And so Paul was just still rubbing my back, um, throughout being quite hands on. Um, and then the doula arrived, um, and I, I do remember feeling like, cause she came into the room and I remember feeling like actually maybe I don't want her here, but it felt like I couldn't, like, I, I don't want her in the room. Like I would have liked her to be there, but outside of the room, but I, for some reason I felt like I couldn't articulate it to her. Um, but yeah, so she was there and Paul was there and I got in the pool and that felt really good. Um, and I was, I was kind of talking out loud quite a lot, which was different to the first birth because obviously I was on my own for most of that. Um, I don't even know what exactly I was saying. Well, maybe I was just saying like, oh, this is this is hard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I felt like I was, yeah, I was a lot more vocal um, in that, with that birth. Um, and Paul was just stroking my head. And that was really nice. Um, and then I felt Mabel, Mabel's my daughter. I felt Mabel's head um, beginning to crown. And I remember putting my hand down. Um, and when her head eventually came out I know I'm skipping a step now so I was I was kneeling um in the pool and my doula said to me to put my leg up um and so I read that as she thinks that the baby's stuck because in my midwifery training that's like one of the maneuvers that you do for shoulder dystocia is um asked the mother to put her leg up so that, you know, you can create more space in the pelvis. Um, and when I asked her about it later, she just said that she thought I looked uncomfortable. So she was just suggesting oh. me changing my position. Um, yeah, so it was kind of perfectly innocent to her mind. Whereas I, yeah, in that moment, I felt like, well, there's something wrong. And I was panicking, although I didn't look like I was panicking outwardly. Um, and I tried putting my leg up, but it felt wrong. So I just put it back down again. Um, and then her head came out and I remember feeling it and feeling like her head's really small. Like that, I don't, that feels wrong. Like her head shouldn't be that small. Um, but then her whole body was born and I brought her up to my chest and she, she was just very, she was very quiet and maybe a bit pale and floppy. And I just remember 
thinking like is she okay like i'm not sure if she's okay i'm not sure if she's breathing um and just yeah just feeling really unsure which i think is was connected to that moment of my doula telling me to change position and thinking there's something wrong like it was all it was all connected from that moment of being disturbed um and then I was sort of looking to her, to the doula, the, to kind of ask her, like, what should I do? Um, and she sort of suggested just blowing on her, like blowing on her face and seeing if that sort of woke her up, as it were. And I was rubbing her back anyway. Um, and it seemed like she was breathing, but just not, not quite there yet. Um, but as I was, I was still feeling quite fearful at that point. So the, my doula asked, yeah, I think she, she asked me, should I call an ambulance? And so I said, yes. So she went to, cause my parents were in the house. She went downstairs to ask them to call the ambulance. Um, and they came quite quickly, um, and I think I was on the, yeah, we were on the bed already at that point. My husband had helped us out of the pool and Mabel was lying on my chest. And I remember as these paramedics came into the room um, and they sort of checked her over still on my chest and I, and they said, this person, this paramedic just said like, oh, well, she, uh, she's fine. And it was almost like in that moment, I kind of came back into my body and I was like, yes, I, I know. Um, I know she's okay. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it kind of, it took, it, I, I, I felt I was sort of taken out of myself in that moment of the disturbance and then sort of came back into my body once she was on my chest and and maybe with the paramedics as well but but almost I feel like I, I almost didn't need them at that point um but yeah it, it was so so I'd chosen this unassisted birth in order to bypass having any kind of disturbance but then ultimately it ended up being disturbed so it was a really interesting yeah. uh, journey to then unpick all of that <laughs> um, yeah I, th I at first I sorry oh uh, yeah it, it it was it took me a, a while to sort of unpack why yeah why it, it had gone that way um and like our, our postpartum was really lovely and I'd like made a whole postpartum plan that time um, and because we were living with my parents and my brother we had lots of support um, but yeah it, it really felt like there was this disconnect in the birth where I was suddenly sort of taken out of my body but then came back in um, yeah, and it, I ha ended up having a um, debrief with a, a um, another doula to kind of talk through it, and that was really helpful to reflect on that 
on that moment where where I was disturbed. Um, yeah, and so it just taught me a lot about that how subtle it can be that disturbing a, a labouring mother. Um, oh, and I also had we ended up having a visit from social services because of choosing to free birth. So that was a whole other thing in the postpartum. We can also yeah. talk about that. Um, yeah, did you, were you going to ask something? Um, no, I was just going to make, make a comment about, um, just the contrast between, you know, your, your first birth and your second birth, how the midwife was so hands-off and you basically, it sounds like your first birth was basically an, an unassisted birth because, you know, you were in the bathroom by yourself, um, versus this second birth that you had called unassisted yet you had the doula there you know giving her input and in, in creating that disturbance it's just so interesting to me um you know the difference with you know how it should have been quote opposite you know what i mean mm. um but instead it it wasn't you know exactly what you would have in your mind of what each of those things might mean um, when you're in the birth world and, and looking for that um, mother-led undisturbed you know scenario um, so yeah it's just the, the contrast was just really interesting the difference yeah and because I think we can these terms that we have to describe things in the birth world, like unassisted and free birth, and that they, they can they can be helpful, but they can also kind of trip us up. I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, because yeah, you, my first was unassisted in in some sense, but but I didn't feel unassisted you know I felt very yeah. supportive mm -hmm. um and that was what helped me to feel safe and feel like I could just be on my own in the bathroom listening to yeah. my body and to my baby because mm -hmm. the midwife and my husband were outside you know there for me um yeah, and obviously then you have some people who say, work, well, it's, it's not a free birth if you have any sort of birth professional there at all. Um, and some people say, well, a free birth is just without medical assistance. Um, but I can really see now, even though I went into that second birth thinking, I guess it is going to be free as in I very much don't want anyone medical there because I don't believe that birth is a medical event but it still brought in something else like another element to it when I feel have, having someone else there who's not part of the family and obviously it can be a good thing like obviously in my first birth it was supportive um but yeah, not not so much the second time around. Um, yeah, and and this, it was a whole journey as well. And I never felt like I blamed her, the the doula. Um, 
yeah, it didn't it didn't feel like it was necessary to blame her. I did have a conversation with her where I explained that actually that comment that you made was was not helpful because I felt like I want her to know that so that it can be part of her learning. Um, mm. Yeah, it was. I th I think I had a lot more unlearning to do than I realised from my time as a student midwife as well. I think um, I didn't. I don't know if I fully if I fully understood how normal how normal birth is until that that experience um it was almost like I, w I was trying to avoid lots of things it was like I knew I didn't want to be in hospital I knew I didn't want to be I didn't want to have someone I don't know there I didn't want to be disturbed but I don't know if I fully invested into what I actually wanted um and then also there's this element of that, that maybe that post that you saw that I wrote where I feel like I was also coming from it from a place of rebellion and like wanting to do it on my own um because it was almost like well if I don't need anyone that's kind of that's the strong way to do it um whereas in my first birth I felt like I really leaned into the support um and I, I that's what i worry that i see perpetuated on social media sometimes is that like you you should choose free but well not that you should choose free birth but i mean sometimes that's how it feels when you read the social media post like you should choose free birth and to do it and you should do it on your own because that's the way to be a strong woman um which doesn't really pay attention to the fact that you need to feel you need to feel safe in order to let go in birth and you need to feel supported to feel safe um and yeah what are the ways what are the different ways that we can feel supported and maybe it's just about being a bit more creative with the support rather than saying let's have no support whatsoever mm -hmm. yeah yeah, that was one thing that I um, I think was highlighted a little bit from your first story was that you said once the midwife arrived, then you were able to kind of relax and you felt mm. safe. And um, to me, that's so interesting that, you know, you, you felt that way and then to go on. And I know that, that your living situation changed, so maybe you didn't have access to that first midwife again, and maybe that played a role into your decision to free birth. But whereas in your first birth, you did feel that, you know, a lot of people choose free birth because their first birth or, you know, a birth before was sabotaged in some way, mm. or, or there was some kind of trauma. And, um, so it, it's interesting to me that you did have that beautiful experience and then, you know, went on to feel, you know, to choose that. And I know what you're saying about, um, you know, the, on social media, certain, I think there are cert, many certain, um, I guess, quote, birth influencers, if you will, mm -hmm. um, that mention, you know, free birth and, and are very pro free birth and, 
very anti the system. Um, but I think that there is that beautiful in between, if you can find it, of mm. that, you know, having that wise woman there to hold space and support that is hands off and willing to, you know, really trust the mother to do what she was created to do and lean into her own intuition. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's just unfortunate that that is hard to find. Um, yeah. but there are those, those women out there that, um, that, that are like that. Um, but anyways, back to, to what I was saying about, um, you know, choosing, you choosing free birth. Um, yeah, it, it, it does make, like, I can see how easily it would be influenced when you are that mindset of, you know, wanting that undisturbed experience and trusting yourself um, to want to go that route because it is portrayed when you're in the birth world, the natural, you know, crunchy birth world, um, that free birth is the way to do it, the best way to do it. And I've, you know, wrestled with this in myself, like, well, is it really, you know, um, I think that it can be a very empowering, beautiful experience, totally. And I, I support any woman that chooses that for herself. But I also believe that if, you know, if a woman wants to have a midwife and, you know, she can find a midwife that isn't, you know, brainwashed by the medical system, um, I think that that is an equally beautiful thing to have because mm -hmm. that, you know, that woman there to hold space and support, um, I just think that it's, it's really important and a really, um, I don't know. I, I think of women, you know, from way back in the day before, you know, medicalized midwifery or OBs or whatever. Um, I mean, didn't they have their mothers attending or their grandmothers attending or their sisters or, you know, whoever, um, maybe not necessarily a quote midwife, but they had that support in, in the, that village around them to hold that space. And mm. at least that's what I envision in my mind when I think back to that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's just so interesting, you know, the, the different things that are portrayed and, um, the different experiences that we can all have and how it all, you know, just, it's, it's all can be so different. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I often think we're, we're just, we're at such a strange time really with, I mean, in many ways, but in the birth world where there's, there's so much fear and kind of polarization of thought it it just it can be quite challenging we're like wading through so much um mm -hmm. to try and have like bring our babies into the world um yeah it's just i guess yeah the conclusion that i came through <laughs> trying to work through that second birth was just like sometimes we miss the mark because we're just trying to, yeah, deal, deal with so much, wade through so much. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not always easy. I really, I, yeah, I'm great. I'm grateful now for both experiences, like having this first really simple and quite easy experience. And then that second one, which 
actually on the surface was still quite simple you know we were still at home and mm -hmm. you know it was still intervention free but psychologically it was a lot more for me to work through um yeah it's just I'm, I'm grateful for the lessons from from both births um and yeah i also want to say that i still 100 percent support free birth and um really can see that it's a valid choice for lots of women and yeah i was really glad that you brought up as well it's like that wise woman is a great choice but if you can find it because it is hard to find that these days and i hear you hear lots of stories of women who think that they have found that wise woman and guide and then you hear the stories of how she sabotaged it when it came to the birth itself you know so you often don't know what you're opening yourself up to um so that's there's no wonder then that some mothers will just say well i'm not gonna have anyone at all it's just gonna be family um yeah it's all things that we have to weigh up when we are going when we're becoming mothers ourselves Yeah, and, and I know you said you don't blame your doula and you're grateful for the experience that, you know, that second birth was because you learned so much from it. But it, just hearing the story makes me wonder, you know, had she not been there, you may have had a totally different experience, you know. Um, it's mm -hmm. hard when, you know, we, like you said, we have to be, we have to be so careful with who we invite into that space and, and how... You know, you wouldn't really think that just a simple comment like that, which from her was, you know, seemingly totally innocent. Um, but with you and who you are and and what you've been through with your training and everything, how that was a alert, you know, like, oh, no, yeah. what's you know, what's wrong? Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just yeah, it gives you a lot to think about. And, um, you know, when when making those choices to, um, you know, whether or not to invite someone into your birth space to like, okay, how do we go about this? And I think, um, you know, I talk a lot about also, and I'm not saying that you didn't do this or, or you did, but, um, really being prayerful about, you know, who we invite in our birth space as well. Um, and I think that, you know, and who knows, maybe, maybe she was meant to be there for, you know, the, the greater lesson in it all, you know? And, um, yeah, I think just really, really, you know, tuning into and, and asking God, like who is supposed to be here and, um, leaning into him for guidance and all of that as well. I think that's just so important. Yeah. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because so, I actually became a Christian like after that birth. Um, okay. it was, so my daughter's three now and it was about a year ago that I became a Christian. So I didn't actually have that kind of prayer. Mm. Yeah. Relationship that, that relationship with God at that point. Um, and yeah, I have wondered, I have wondered about that. And, and I, because I think I said as well to you before that, in that um, experience of being pregnant and planning that birth, I kind of felt like I have to do it alone. 
um, rather than like now if I were to have another baby I would feel like this is an experience that I'm going to ask God about as well and bring bring him into it and like what 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 do you feel God is the right way for me to move forward with this birth whereas yeah I didn't have that sense of sharing sharing the burden in the same way I think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, that makes a lot of sense yeah wow um so did you have anything else from either experiences that you wanted to share do you feel like you covered everything that you wanted to talk about um just that so with mabel with my second baby i also we had to deal with um social services coming around in postpartum yes yeah you did Um, yeah so that was very challenging the investigation went on for a couple of weeks during that really vulnerable postpartum time um and again i think yeah looking back on it now there's also just lessons there about um about how vulnerable that time is and then also i just really had to lean on my support system because i felt so overwhelmed and attacked and you know just thinking am i gonna lose my children which was horrible um and obviously i didn't um and also thinking about all of the ways that i'd you know, I really wanted to avoid that system, but then it still ended up kind of trying to trying to get at me anyway. And that's yeah, mm-hmm. that's just brought up a general sadness about the state of maternity care. Um, but yeah, I suppose that's just another also element of when I am talking about free birth um with potential clients um yeah it's just all it's just also worth being aware of like the legal stuff around it and even though so in the uk free birth is totally legal but there's still there's the sort of the authorities it's it's definitely not uh it's it's misunderstood right so it's just being aware Mm -hmm. of of that of what you are might be opening yourself up to as well if you are gonna um traverse an alternative path and i think i was quite naive about that maybe um i just thought well it's legal so i'm not going to get into any trouble but um yeah it was it was hard going um yeah yeah so what exactly were they um was it just because you birthed alone at home um they thought that the children were in some sort of danger or what exactly was it that they were investigating yeah it was well they were saying that the children were potentially at risk of harm because of that and because i hadn't had any medical care during my pregnancy and then also because we'd actually moved during my pregnancy and I didn't I didn't think about how that would look but apparently in their books that's kind of a red flag that we'd moved and then I hadn't well there was confusion because they were saying that I hadn't registered with the local doctor 
Um, and I hadn't registered my son with the local doctor when I had, but it turned out they'd never got the documents. So there was some confusion there. Um, and they also did not like the fact that our eldest was not vaccinated. That was, yeah, also was a black mark against our name. (laughs) Mm. Wow. (laughs) Well, everything worked out fine then you said (laughs) yeah yes did in the end yeah just yeah it's just unfortunate that you had to endure the headache of it all especially like you said during that very vulnerable time where you're healing and you know have a new baby and adjusting man (laughs) yeah yeah well um did you have anything else then that you wanted to share or no 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 yeah so are you continuing on that path to become a midwife or are you just going to stick with your doula and birth educating um as your path at the moment i don't have any plans to be a midwife um but i guess you never know you never know yeah Yeah, we definitely need um, more of those, you know, what sounds like your first midwife was, you know, the the ones that will, you know, wait out on the couch while you have your baby and come in after to help clean up and support mm-hmm. you. <laughs> you know, I love, I love that, um, that idea of, of that. And, um, but yeah, it is so, so hard, you know, for um, women who have that desire to go through the system to achieve that, you know, it's almost like you have to, um, be self-educated almost, or go through the training and then choose to forego the licensure if you want to be that type of, of midwife. And, you know, more and more women I think are doing that, um, which I think is great, but it's also unfortunate because it comes with that own, their own set of risks for those women that are choosing that path. And, um, you know, I am, I am grateful for, for the ones that are, are willing to, you know, have the, go through the risk of that, um, Mm -hmm. in order to support women the way that we should, you know, we deserve to be supported, um, and not, you know, have to, to be, um, subjected to, you know, the rules and the regulations of, of the system. And because not everybody quite agrees with, with all of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, besides your midwifery training, did you have anything else that you did to help prepare for either one of your births? Any resources? Um, no. I think, um, I think just I sort of sought like-minded women, um, mostly online, um, who, yeah, just viewed birth in the same way as me. Um, and I think just things like moving your body mindfully and spending lots of time outside and like walking lots, um, yeah, and, and just, I think, creating space to kind of listen to to God, to your baby, to your body, 
because I think there can be a tendency to almost cram cram so much information in that we kind of forget that listening is also important to and creating that spaciousness in our pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like to ask if you could give one piece of advice, like one must have, must know advice to a first time mom, what's something that you would want to tell her? Mm. Yeah, maybe can I just borrow that bit? Just don't forget to create space as well as that, you know, researching or reading the books or whatever. Don't forget to create that space to listen. I think that would be my, yeah. my advice. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And I think, I think maybe because of the culture surrounding birth and the, quote, norm of, you know, kind of giving up our own authority and responsibility to medical professionals, professionals and midwives, we kind of, we forget that we have, you know, a built-in knowing and an intuition that God gave us um, to really know what's best for our bodies and our babies. And sure, there's a time and a place for that medical intervention. um, And, you know, we're grateful when we need it. But ultimately, you know, inside of us, we really have everything that we need (laughs) to really be able to tune into our own bodies and and just trust God for what he's, he's created us to do. And so, yeah, I think that's so important. Um, so what about you? Um, do you have, um, virtual offerings as a birth educator or is that something that is only available to people that are local for you? Local to you? Um, I do have, a virtual offering, a one-to-one mentorship for pregnant women. Um, Yeah, so we will walk through birth and postpartum preparation together um, over a number of sessions and then in postpartum as well to kind of wrap it all up together. Um, Yeah, so my website is www.itscatherineprice.com. And I'm at Kingdom Birth on Instagram. Perfect. We'll put that information in the show notes so that women can easily reach you. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share your stories and the valuable lessons that you've learned along your journey. I, it was really encouraging to hear them and it was fun to, to chat about your, your births and, um, you know, the path that that you're on thank you danielle thanks very much for having me thank you so much for listening i hope that you were encouraged in some way through this story as a reminder please rate and review our podcast and you can connect with us on social media at birth journeys podcast for more information or to share your own story please visit birthjourneyspodcast.com and fill out the brief questionnaire see you next time